Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Thank you, Hope, for sharing that. It is so encouraging. Habakkuk 2 starts off and he's like, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. And so I don't know. Here's a show of hands. I did this with our our team huddle. Uh, If you've ever heard or read the book of Habakkuk, uh, there's a little debate going um, behind the scenes and it's caused this division in our church of how to pronounce the word Habakkuk. All right. And so I just want to like raise like a showing of hands. How many of you call it Habakkuk like your pastor? There we go. Oh, wow. How many of you call it Habakkuk? Wow, you people. Habakkuk. Uh, whoever taught you that is just wrong. It's Habakkuk. Habakkuk. So we are in chapter three of it. And if you've never read this short little book, I will tell you, uh, if you maybe doubt that there is a God, I want to talk to you this morning because this book is for you. If you're struggling with God, what are you doing and where and how? There's no way a God could happen because there's so much death and pain and there's so much destruction going on and so much division and the most divided people are God's people. If you're there, Habakkuk is for you. Chapter one of Habakkuk, if you remember, Habakkuk was like, Lord, the Assyrians are all over us. There's so much pain and turmoil. The government is corrupt. What are you doing about it? And he says, oh, I'm doing something, but you wouldn't believe it even if I told you because I'm sending the Babylonians. And I didn't mention this about the Babylonians before, but when I told you that they bring death, uh, they literally, their culture was one where in order to be powerful, their God that they followed, you killed. You killed people to be powerful yourself. And so that's the culture that Babylon brought in. So Habakkuk was like, no, 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 I don't want death. I don't want something to come into my people that will not only bring death, but inspire others to bring death. And I told you that first week, like that's literally what, there's a Babylonian season that happens every generation. Something that brings death or fear or pain or worry. And with it, more destruction happens. I mean, if it's not COVID, it is the anger and the violence that has come because of the lines that it has drawn in our our culture. Because Babylonian seasons happen all around us. And we as the church ask God, why? What are you doing? And he says, well, I'm bringing these things, allowing them to happen so that there's a division. If you remember this, right? The whole chapter one. So that there's a division between Babylon and my people. So there's a dividing, so that people have to respond. And then last week, if you missed last, last week's message, it was a lot. We had these five woes. Uh, and if you want to put them up, these five woes. And this is where we ended the sermon last week. Because um, chapter two is wordy. Woo, it's wordy. And essentially, God is saying, hey, Habakkuk, I need you to know that the culture that is coming on you, around you, to you, I'm not for. And so I'm going to tell you these things so that you and your people can stand different, can stand apart from it. And so we talked last week how when the culture of the world comes in, selfish ambition will happen. 
right? <laughs> I feel like that's everywhere in our world. People pursuing what people want for people's personal response to it. There's a pursuit of selfish uh, and self-preservation. It's me, my household against everyone. I will, I will store up. I will live. It is myself. And we talked last week, the pursuit of violence and unjust deeds that Babylon will bring this uh, heightened personal value and a slow decay of human value. That's the world. And so God speaks in chapter 2 these five woes. These five woes, and I told you last week that they were a woe to Babylon, but a woe, 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 woe to the heart of God's people. You're looking a little bit more like Babylon. You're getting into self-pleasure, and I need you to realize that, that the people are not there as a, as a um, you know, thing for you, an object for you. They are not a resource for your pleasure. So, whoa, 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 whoa. Or the pursuit of self-preservation. Hey, you have in your desire to gain for yourself, whoa, whoa, my son, my daughter. You've isolated yourself from my people. So, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not a judgment, whoa, but a hey. You're different. You're redeemed. And then chapter three starts. And... I will be honest, it ends very beautifully. In fact, when I was reading it on uh, Tuesday, chapter 3, uh, it ends in just a minute. You, you don't have to put it up yet. I won't get there. And it'll be in just a little bit. Um, <laughs> Jess is like, whoa, 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 whoa. But chapter 3 ends in a very beautiful way. It ends in a way that I've taught before. I've taught chapter 3, verse 17 and to 19. And so I was reading it, and I I don't know why I wasn't prepared that that's where it would end, but I was in my office, and I just ugly cried when I got to there. I was just like, I'm going to read, you know, just a swift little, swiftly look on Monday afternoon, got to chapter 3, verse 17, and I wept. And so I was like, I'm so excited. I'm going to encourage my, like, your people, God, with this word. And he's like, but there's a lot that comes before this. And so I have something to tell you. If you're a believer in the room, God has a word for you of encouragement, of it's beautiful, but in order to hear it, to receive it, you're going to have to check your heart. So that's what chapter three, the start is all about. It is a heart checking start. So some of you, you've wanted to hear from God for a long time. You've wanted him to say those sweet things to you. You've wanted him to give you a point, a purpose, a plan. You're like, God, how, how do we do things? Or I, I don't believe that you're real. And you're wanting him to respond. You want verse 17 and 19. And it's pretty beautiful. Like, it's, it's beautiful. But you have, a, you have to check your heart. And so chapter 3 is a heart-checking thing. In fact, it's written um, like a, a, a song. You talk about, like, if some of those songs that are new to you, sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes it can feel like a song is just like, where are we going? It's new. I'm, I'm so confused by it. It's, it's fresh to me. I'm not... That's what this whole chapter is. It was put to a stringed instrument, which I, I just... While we read this, I just want the ongoing joke in the back of your head, like... What would this be like to sing? It's just weird. It's a weird little song. But it was to be put to a stringed instrument and sung by the people of Israel. It's really strange. And so though it will get beautiful, it's a little heart-checking at first. And so I don't know if you've read the Psalms and have realized, but there's this word, Selah. 
Everyone, anyone ever seen it? S-E-L-A-H, Selah. It's throughout the Psalms, and it's this beautiful time to pause. It's a beautiful time to meditate. It's written into a song to where everyone stops. Sometimes even the stringed instrument stops, and you pause and meditate on what you just sang. So that's in here. So there's going to be some pauses as we think through some things because uh, it's what is spoken in the pause that brings revelation to what you just read in the words. Does this make sense? I could say, great is your faithfulness, God, to me. But if I zoom past and I don't hit on the weight of me, his faithfulness and what he's done, then I will miss the, the literal praise of that statement. Does that make sense? So pausing is beautiful. So it starts off, and we'll get into this right at the beginning. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1. It'll be up here. Habakkuk says, O oh Lord, I have heard of your renown, and I stand in awe, O oh Lord, of your work. In our own time, right now, what I'm dealing with with Babylon, what I'm dealing with in my home, what I'm dealing with in my marriage, what I'm dealing with in my job, what I'm dealing with in our culture, what I'm dealing with, revive it. Revive your work. In our own time, make it known. In wrath, may you remember your mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Selah. Now, I don't know about you, but you're like, I was, I was living that. I love it. And then verse 3 happens, and I'm really confused. Anyone else like, God came from Tamat? No, he didn't come from anywhere. What is that? And so, honestly, it's a little confusing. Taman means the south, the region from the south. And the word holy one, it means God the deliverer. And then he came from Mount Paran. Mount Paran is the only mountain in the Sinai region. If you know anything about Sinai, Mount Sinai, what happened there? Anyone? God gave the Ten Commandments. So what he's about to do right now is he just said, the God who came and delivered his word. I'm expecting you, God, to work. Now, why this is powerful, why this Selah is so powerful, it's because, and I wrote this, if we are asking God to make his work known, then we're going to have to know what his words are. If we're going to ask God to make his presence known, to revive what he's done in the past, then we're going to have to pause and remember that he actually has spoken instructions. And it's really beautiful. So I wrote a few things down. Um, if we're going to ask him to make his work known, then we're going to have to leave behind our work to hear his words. We're going to have to leave behind the arguments of Babylon in order to see his work. We're going to have to leave behind the words, the lures of Babylon. If we're going to see, if Habakkuk is going to see him at work, he's going to need to realize that when God is seen, like Moses, do you remember it was, God was so bright that Moses had to hide his face? Because when God is seen, his glory will be displayed. And when his glory is displayed, there will always be a conviction and a word and a direction. And so we have to realize if you want, like personally, if you want God to make a change in this pandemic, are you prepared for the instruction that he might bring to you? 
And how when Moses comes back, back down from the temple, like from the mountain, and that last commandment is thou shalt not have any other gods, right? Like that's the last commandment. And then he comes down and realizes the people have made a God of their own. And he realized, like, if you want God to move, are you prepared? That's what this pause is. Reminder that when God moves, he gives his word. And his word will divide people. So if you want God to move, are you prepared for him to instruct? Are you prepared for him to instruct? To change something about you? To shape you? See, sometimes we would rather live in Babylon than actually be changed by the living God. But goodness, there's hope. There's hope. And so I wrote some things down. Are you, am I ready <laughs> to be challenged? I wrote this, that where Babylon is lies are. I didn't say this, but when Babylon came, do you ever wonder why in the Old Testament there's so much war? And every time it says God, he, he defeated the Babylonians and there was so much bloodshed. And we're like, how could a good God kill off people groups, right? Do we ever, we ever sting with that? Well, it's really difficult. But here in the Old Testament, when God is talking about the enemy, he's not talking about flesh and blood. He's talking about what those flesh and blood are bringing into his people. What the flesh and blood are bringing into his people. Because there's a whole culture of lies with Babylon. Five woes, right? That all worship another, another type of God. God where anger is pleasing to him. A God where sexual sins are pleasing to him. A God where death is pleasing to him. And that's not the one true God. And so as, as we pause in that, are you ready to be challenged in your thinking? If you want God to move, are you ready for him to actually deliver and save? I wrote this, is my heart ready to go where he says to go? To stop what he says to stop? To pick up what he picks up? Are you ready? If you really want him to do it again, that song, are you, if you really want him to do it again, are you ready for some walls to fall down? Because it's like the whole topic of what we want. We want the after effect, but we struggle to remember that like literally walls have to come down. Things will be changed and shaped and twisted and purged and, and whew, pushed when God moves. And so he's singing, I have heard of your renown. I stand in all of your work. In our own time, revive it, God. Make yourself known. May I remember like you, and, and while you do it, remember mercy. Because I, rem I know that when you move, whew, instruction happens. Tension happens. So God, remember your mercy. The God who gave us instruction. And we pause. We pause. I wrote this down that uh, Habakkuk wants the singer to pause and remember that the word from the mountain gave so much division, conviction, but direction. So much of it. Habakkuk cannot face Babylon. He cannot face a city that is uh, compromised. He doesn't realize that God like, is moving in powerful ways. So I wrote, as we say law, pause here, I want to say that our world is in disarray, correct? 
Our world is in disarray. And if we want God to be moved in our time, we have to realize that as he moves, he also moves his people to stand separate. And so I, I, I wrote, and I just want to like, if your life, your motives, your opinions, your decisions are more in line with the arguments of Babylon than they are the word of the Lord, then you're going to miss the power of God. Literally, he's saying the God who came down and delivered on, on the mountain, he came in his glory, and when God is present, he gives instruction. That's how you move, God. So if you are not anticipating God to give you instruction and change you, then you're not going to see him in your day. You're going to ask for him to move, to do something, but nothing will happen. I wrote that some of you have struggled to see God in your day, to feel him, to hear from him. And it's because you don't want the instruction that he would bring. You don't. But right now, like he says, hey, God, in my time, revive your work. Make it known to me. In your wrath, remember your mercy, and I will do whatever Ten Commandments you lay down. I'll do whatever you speak. I will go there. If we're going to see God, we're going to have to fill our minds with his words. And there's another mountain. This is what I love about this Selah, because this doesn't make sense to us sometimes. There was another mountain where, where God came and made his self, himself known. There was one time when, when uh, the disciples were told to assemble as many crowds as possible. Do you remember this? Assemble as many crowds as possible, and they got the multitudes. Thousands of people came, and then the God of the universe made flesh, stood up, and gave the sermon on a mount. It was another time when God gave an instruction that would be mo- monumental, movement ready. And on that mountain, like Jesus moved, have you ever read like the Sermon on the Mount and realized how dividing that is? I just want to read some of this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, Babylon will always say, no, they shouldn't be uh, hungry. And so we'll divide. Or the hungry are the weak and they should stay hungry and die. Blessed are the merciful. No, Babylon says. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. No, Babylon says, if you have an opinion, make it known. No matter who is hurt by it. Blessed are those who who are persecuted for righteousness sake, Jesus speaks. And then he goes on concerning anger. Hey, you've heard it say like, Do not like murder, but if you have anger in your heart, then you've murdered. And Jesus changes this whole dynamic of those Ten Commandments and just shifts it. He says, you've heard like don't commit adultery, but if you lust after a man or a woman, you've already committed adultery. And Jesus is like, bam, like bringing a word and it creates division and confusion. And it sets off this whole thing in motion. It's interesting though. We know more scientific data than we know God's word. I I just, he says, oh Lord, I've heard of your renown. I've heard of your work. In our own time, revive it. 
Did you know you can't see God if you don't know his words? My sheep know my voice. Some of you want the experience of the Lord, but you don't want to submit yourself to the word of the Lord. And I'll tell you, like, the word of the Lord became flesh and dwelt among men, and it was Jesus. I, I, here, here's a, this say law is more important than you may realize. Because from the mountain, God became personal. He gave instruction and correction. And Jesus literally became personal, physical. He gave instruction and correction. I, some of you have a hard, I've counseled many people in general with this word, Selah, the word of the Lord. You cannot see God if you don't know his words. You cannot hear God if you don't know his words. And this is why this is so important. I have realized in our culture, Christians have sometimes a hard time really knowing the presence of Jesus. And the reason is because they like the love of Jesus, but they don't realize that the word became flesh and dwelt among. So in Jesus is all the commandments of the Lord, all the instruction of the Lord. And some of you have a hard time with Jesus because you don't submit to the word. And so you may say, I love Jesus, but you pick and choose scripture, and so you wonder why I can't see God in my day. So if I'm going to see the work of the Lord revived in my culture, then I, my day, my time, my home, then I must remember the Lord that delivered the Ten Commandments. And then I got to remember those Ten Commandments, those instructions of the word, because in those words, he is fleshed out. Does this make sense? And I'll tell you, the reason you can't see God is because some of you, some of you know more about finances than you know about the word of the Lord. Some of you know more about what you do at work than you know about the word of the Lord. Some of you are excellent in your field, but you are so slow to know anything about God's word. And so you can keep praying this, but you cannot go forward because why I'm pausing so much is because after this Selah, the whole rest of the song is what God has done. You can't sing it if you don't know it. You can't sing it if you don't know it. Some of you know way too much about our present times and what government will say and where you stand and, and you're so ready to post all about it, but you don't know the word of the Lord then you will always swing when Babylon says swing. And you will never stand when God says stand. Is it like, we cannot go forward in Habakkuk if you don't pause and remember the instruction of the Lord. Because instantly Habakkuk, a man after like, an Israelite man knows instantly what happened with Moses on the mountain led to everything. It led to the wilderness. It led to us trusting in God. It led to the walls of, of, of Jericho falling. It led to where we are now, and he's carried us through. The parting of the Red Sea came from the mountain where God gave instruction. You want God to make a way? You need to know the word of the Lord. 
You want God to make a way? You need to know the word of the Lord. <laughs> the point that you, have, you can write this down. If we do not know God's word, then we don't really know God. And this is a difficulty thing because the God Jesus was the word. And so if you make your decisions this past week and you saw everything going on with Texas and you make your decision off of your opinion or your education or your governmental stance instead of God's word, if you're looking at this pandemic and you make your assumptions, your, your opinions off of fear or anger or violence or judgment instead of God's word, then you're not truly going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Because really you would start saying, okay, God, as we have faced Babylon, this is what they had those five woes. I'm going to pause and remember your working and all that you've done. You got, we have these five woes. I need to now say, God, how do you approach this? God, what did you do to this? You made a way. How did you make a way when we least, like we least thought of it? Like you brought us out of slavery. We would constantly realize what he does and how he sees things. And it would be shaped. It would be shaped. I said, um, <laughs> we have to pause. Deliver us. It's a call for Israel to sing this song. And it's going to get strange. All right, so we're about to read it. Are you ready for chapter 3 ongoing? We're about to read it because this is the word, the story that we are to sing. This is the story that we're to sing. Um, I sat with, with Kate on Sunday, uh, not Sunday, on Wednesday. Where is my wife? She's, she's gone. So this is, this is Kate's word. Uh, oh, there she is behind the pillar. At the end of the day, we cannot be Jesus and see his work if we don't know his word, the character of Jesus. And so I will say this, Kate, are you okay with that? She's like, I, she's, she said, I don't care what your answer is to this, this question. I know my answer, and this is why I'm so passionate about it. But if a woman... So this is what our world is erupting in this past week. It's every, every week another thing, right? Every week another thing. If a woman came to Jesus who was raped, this is how we have to, have to approach the world, not in our opinion or our education, but by the word. If a woman who was raped came to Jesus and asked him to take the baby away, what would Jesus do? That answer to that question will set in trajectory of how you respond then to our culture as things happen. How do you, what would he, would the author of life move forward with what the woman has requested? Would the author of life, who is, is wanting to end death, and I say this because uh, you'll be interested in this time period, people will separate the wolves and the sheep. And we can go on the fluffy God or we can realize that when God comes, hard decisions have to be made. Because if we want him to move us out of Babylon, then we have to hear his instruction to how to do it. And so, how would Jesus actually respond? 
we got to know the word of the Lord or we're going to miss who God really is. And so he continues in verse 3. The God who came down, his splendor covered the heavens. The earth was full of his praise. He doesn't know this unless he knows the story. His brightness was like the light. Rays shine from his hand. And there he had to veil his power or, you know, Moses would die. And he keeps going. And with him, like pestilence and plague followed at his heels. And he's recounting the exodus. He stood and measured the earth. And he looked and shook the nations. And the eternal mountains were scattered. And he's going through this whole song. Can you imagine singing this? His were the everlasting ways. In verse 7, it says, I saw the tents of cushion and affliction, the curtains of the land. Like, this is a weird song. The curtains in the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers when you split them? Was it anger against the, the seas? And so he's asking all these questions. And the point of all of it was the salvation that God brought. You stripped the sheath of your bow, you called for many arrows, and your people were saved. This is the story of our salvation, that God made a way, that God made a way, and he pauses. He pauses again. And this is really confusing, but I have to, like, tell you, the Israelites, the song that they only could sing was the God who made the way through the Red Sea. The song that we can sing is the Jesus who made a way for my life, Right? He made a way. He's literally made a way. And so it continues. Uh, the song was all about salvation. And he continues, and I won't read all of this because it's a lot. He goes into depth. Do you go into depth about what Jesus did for you? Because he goes into a depth through the song. The, I, I can imagine it, God, that you came and you, you moved the sin struggle of my life is the song that he's, the waters. It's all like in our day and age, we obviously, we didn't walk on dry ground. Like we, we weren't a part of that story. But what God did do is he moved the waters of my sin that were so overwhelming my, my depths and he moved it that I could walk through in clarity. He made a way. And so I know scripturally that Jesus came and he, he made a way and, and all of that that we just sang, nothing can separate us from the power of God. It's because as we walked through Sin and death that was chasing us died. But we can't see his work and live in confidence if we forget the story of what he's done. If we forget the story of what he's done. And so he continued. He's like, you march through the earth in fury. You thresh the nations of anger. He's, he's talking through every single time when God killed off a culture that was attacking them. He's like, you've been faithful to do it. You went out the salvation of your people for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked. Laying him bare, Selah. It's a lot. Selah. Do you know scripture says that on the cross of Christ, the rulers, the authorities, the principalities, they were made a public shame of because he defeated them. He defeated them. He triumphed over them. He triumphed over them. And then it ends, and if you can, just put on ver the verse 16. And as he's realizing the story of this, he says, I hear it. I hear it's being sung. The story of my salvation. And my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. 
rottenness enters my bones. And if I could flesh this out for you, how many of you have ever seen like the Passion of the Christ? This is a good example. Can you watch the Passions of the Christ, Passion of the Christ without feeling your body tremble, your lip quivering at the sound rottenness entering your bones? You're shaking. Like it's just not right. You, you feel what I mean? Like it's just not right. That's what's going on here. He's seeing the weight of all that God has done as he split the seas, as the earth has shaken, as the mountains trembled, all of these things. And he's like overwhelmed by the glory of the Lord and shaking. When Jesus defeats death, we are overwhelmed by the glory of the Lord. And our lips quiver. And this is what's going on. It's like, and I'll wait. I'll wait for the day of trouble to come upon those who invade us. I'll wait for you to be victorious. Do you ever feel that way? Like, I'll wait for you to be victorious. That's the, that's the difference between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. This awkward wait for the enemy to be defeated, for victory to be there. And then comes the beautiful, where I, I cried. And this is where we're ending this morning. Habakkuk says, after all of this, the song of remembrance, everything, I want to see you, God, but even if, that word though, you can translate to even if, the fig tree never blossoms, even if the fruit is never on the vine, the produce of the olive fail and the, fi- the fields yield no food, even if the, the flock is cut off and I have nothing in my home to eat, even if there's nothing in the stalls, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And this is why I cried, because this is the heart that separates the people of God from the world. Because when the fig tree isn't blossoming, the people of the world are like Googling, why is my fig tree not blossoming? What can I do to put fruit back on the vines? What can I do to, to save the, the fact that my olive tree is dying, I need to buy more like oxen in my stalls. The world is thinking of how I can fix this, how I can fix it. The world is thinking this, but he who knows the story of the Lord, the world, or the Lord, goodness, he who knows the story of the Lord knows that when I was up against the waters and death was coming, he made a way. Like, so you cannot see God in the empty stall without knowing the word of the Lord who is good even in the empty stall. We're different than Babylon because Babylon would say, I'm not rejoicing in any God until my life is good. I'm not rejoicing in any God until I get that paycheck that I've been working for. I'm not rejoicing in any God until he gives me that, that woman, that man of my dreams. No, even if the pandemic never ends. Even if, even if, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I will rejoice in the Lord the God of my salvation. 
And this is the interesting part as, as he ends. He says, he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Do you know why it says a deer feet? Because when an enemy comes, the deer can run. When the enemy comes, the deer can run. But I, some of you don't even know when the enemy has come. Because you're still waiting for that fig tree to blossom. And you're not praising God in it. And so I, I don't, can we just be students of the word together? If you want to argue me with opinions, remember the flesh of the Lord is the word of the Lord. So if you're not going to bring a discussing, like a discussion about Jesus as we work through current times, then you're just wondering why the fig tree isn't blossoming. You're just going to argue until you see a cow in your stock. Like you're, going to, you're just going to fight until you see something good come. But when an enemy comes, you have the ability as a believer to run away like a deer. And so I, some of you, I mean it, like God literally said, they know way more about science than they know about me. They weigh no, way more about their opinions or the latest thing or who to vote for than they know about me. And they're wondering why they don't see me because they, they see that what they know. And so like, uh, we're going to start a new series. This is the end of Habakkuk. I want to be a church that is able to tread on high places. That it is possible to, head, to tread on high places when my olive tree is failing. <laughs> that it's possible for us to tread on high places when the fig tree isn't blossoming. And it's because we know the word of the Lord. We know that when everyone's bowing to Nebuchadnezzar and we don't, the flames might come, but we're holding the hand of the Savior. We know all these stories that Babylon will ask us to bow, to sign up, to be a part of something. But my God is my God. And so God, I just pray right now that we can get a hunger for your word. Goodness, God, I will listen back to this message and hate every bit of it. Because it was, as you told me to, not scripted out. But God, what I know is that you spoke to me saying, my people don't know my words and they're wondering why, my, why they don't see my works. They don't have a song to sing. And so God, I just got convicted by that. I have a song to sing. Because, Lord, you came on another mountain to die on a cross. And there have been times when, when death has come into my family and you have made a way. 
You have brought peace. You have given instruction. And so God, I want our church to have a song to sing. So Lord, strip away the thoughts of Babylon. As we sing of what you've done. So I'll just tell you, if you were here and a person in here and you maybe have formed a lot of your thinking from the world, know that you're in safe company because I'm right there with you. But the beautiful thing is that God made himself very known to us. God, I pray for a hunger for your word. Jesus, I pray that when we say, God, revive my heart, we're not going to get up and just go back to work, but we're going to realize that revival comes from knowing you. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.